Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Hello, I'm so happy today to introduce you to Jillian Benfield. She is a new author. I think this is your first book. Is that right, Jillian? She, it is worth it. You guys need to go out and get it. She will be giving away a copy and it is called The Gift of the Unexpected. Uh, discovering, here's the tagline, discovering who you were meant to be when life goes off plan. I think, I think this will appeal to everybody because life always goes off plan. We are really not in control of anything, even the next moment. We just think we are. Jillian, welcome to living a legacy life. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, that was the idea behind the book that it wouldn't just be for people who have gone through what I went through, my unexpected trial, but anyone whose life has taken an unexpected wide left turn. Hmm. Um, I thought of this, would you say that your book is about, uh, faith or trusting God, or is it about how things aren't as dark as we think they are, or about advocacy for the disabled? I learned a new word, by the way, not disabled, but another one we'll talk about in a little bit if I get to it or how Western thought has skewed our view of pain or one more, uh, transformation from the inside out. Would you say your book is about that? Uh, yes, to just about all of those. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say it's mostly, um, it's about how the unexpected helps us to undergo and, um, walk through our circumstances and find a deeper faith and the truest form of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's largely a book about faith and transformation, um, through that. Yeah. And you bring that up a lot. I I was feeling a little dense every once in a while when I read that. So I'm going to ask you some questions about it. Uh, Why did you want to write it? I think the main reason I wanted to write it is because um, I didn't want there to be this book out there that just tied everything up so nicely, because I think there's a lot of that. Um, I think there's this there's this bad thing that happened. And look how God walked me through it. And now my life is perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted a book that was really real, that took you through the darkest parts of my life. Um, Parts of, I had thoughts that, um, you know, were hard to include in the book. Mm -hmm. And I wanted, because I have read other books where I felt, oh my gosh, I can't believe they thought that I thought that too. Oh. And that was so healing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there can be good that can come out of the unexpected, but it's not always with what society tells us it's going to be. I feel like there is this narrative, the Western th- thought process coming in here, um, where if this bad thing happens to you, God is going to give you so much better things on the other side of it. To make up um, for it. To make up yes, for it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This very transactional um, view of God. And so um, what I am saying is um, there 
life can hand you very hard, dark things. Um, and there can be goodness in it, but most of the time that goodness is a change that comes from within. Mm, yeah. And, uh, what you said earlier in that paragraph was how you receive some healing by reading other people's testimonials that were not wrapped up in a bow. Mm -hmm. And that is one of our, uh, one of your points you make towards the end about how the community of suffering is really healing and that that's why we need to be vulnerable because if people don't know that I'm hurting, they won't share their hurt with me. And then there will not be that salve that comes from uh, a deep communion that God expects from us because he was vulnerable with us. And so he wants us to be the same because he knows it's good for us. It's not, it's usually we're too embarrassed to share that deepest pain, or at least at the beginning. And I feel like your book, you really shared your heart and, um, and I want you to tell your story. Another thing though, someone was visiting recently and she saw the title of your book and immediately she said, I don't want to read it because I don't think, I don't see my pain as being a gift. And she, uh, I'm still going to get it for her, but, um, and I understood, I wasn't going to say, oh no, you need to read it. For one thing, I hadn't finished it at the time, but, um, you know, I bet you have come across some of that, or maybe people have said, oh, you know, that's for her, but it's not for me. Have you, have yeah. you had anybody say, this cannot be a gift. It is too horrific. I mean, look what happened in, um, Tennessee this week. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. imagine us sending the books to those parents. 100%. It's not yeah. meant for that. Yeah. And I also don't think that all of our circumstances are a gift. Mm -hmm. That's not the premise of the book. You know, go. for me with my um, son with Down syndrome, obviously I have come to think of Down syndrome very differently. And I know we'll get into that later. So yes, he is a gift, but I do talk about in the beginning of the book and at the end, how I've been through other things, other things that I just can't classify as good. I can't classify the miscarriage as good. Mm -hmm. I can't classify my son having a horrific medical injury um, at the hands of a doctor as good. There's no nothing good about that. Mm -hmm. But what this book is about is there can be good in our unexpected, hurtful, painful circumstances. And that good is growing closer to God, becoming more mm -hmm. human than we were before, mm -hmm. um, being able to connect with the hurting, um, being able to, as you said, the, there's this communion of the unseen and being able to, if we're willing to enter that, if we're willing to do the work that um, is available to us to do when the unexpected hits our lives, we can change. And that is where the gift is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's not necessarily that we're going to change the world. No. But our world inside will be changed. I love the, how you differentiate between, and I never thought of this before, uh, between the words overcoming and undergoing. I thought I thought that was pretty much genius for someone so young. Good for you. Um, because, and I don't mean to be condescending. I, I think it was genius. And I Thank think it is genius. Know. So why don't you explain it a little bit? Because I think it will be such a help to people. Yeah. So I do think that there is this very short timetable that we're often allotted, um, in Western culture and in Christian circles, um, that when something bad happens, we're supposed to rush to the other side of that timetable as quickly as possible. And that's overcoming. And if you Google image overcoming, you're going to see somebody standing atop a mountain with their arms stretched overhead and a stance that screams victory. Right. And that's what society wants of us. They want us to push down 
what is paining us. Another word for overcome is suppress. So to suppress mm-hmm. what is paining us and return to our old selves and our old lives as quickly as possible. What I am suggesting is that we undergo instead. And so if you Google image the word undergo, what you're going to find is somebody who's about to undergo surgery. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we are called to do when the unexpected hits our lives is we have to admit that we need help, Hmm. seek out that help, dig into those deep, dark spaces, confront the pain. And then we have to pursue healing on the other side of that surgery. And I know none of that sounds fun. No, none of it. (laughs) But if we want to see the goodness that can come from our unexpected circumstances. Mm -hmm. That's what it requires. It requires us to undergo, to go all the way through it. And maybe this will be one of the best results of your hard work in writing the book is that people will need the perseverance. It's almost like the book is like a cheering squad on the side as you not run over the finish line quickly, but as you undergo the pain, because no one likes my pain. No, I don't like my pain to last any longer than possible. I mean, I'm I'm pretty bad with a hangnail. It says here, it takes time. It takes counsel. It takes reflection. I love that. We don't want to take the time to reflect. We'd rather just get another cup of coffee or wine and uh, to get through things as quickly as possible, as numbingly as possible. Whether, and I, I'm all about distractions. I'm all about going to get a massage. I, I don't mind self-care, but not at the expense of my personal growth. And God maybe just will keep giving me unexpected gifts. Well, I have three children that would do it right there too. Um, <laughs> there are no shortcuts to growth. I've heard that before and I don't like it, but I teach on spiritual growth. And so I keep saying it for my own reminding there are no shortcuts. And I want my kids to be, you know, happy and perfect and fit in and get married well and all those things. But it's, you know, God's timeline is not mine. My mentor likes to say that um, God has perfect timing, but we are the ones with fast watches. Mm -hmm. And isn't that the case? Um, Something you wrote here, I love this, we're expected to be the PR team for Jesus and for ourselves by feeling our pain the shortest time possible. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. I, I just, you know, I have a story for that one. Um, (laughs) when, um, I was going to a church in Texas and our youngest son, who I, I think I alluded to maybe before we started recording that he had some tumultuous, um, medical issues. And one of the the lesser things we had was clubbed feet and he had these casts on his feet. Mm -hmm. And this guy at church came and asked me about it. And I, start explaining. It's like, Oh, it's for this. And, you know, we're also being seen for this and this and this, you know, at the time he had like 10 specialists. Wow. And he cut me off and said, but you're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. Oh my goodness. He was not listening. No, no. And he didn't want, he wanted to, he didn't want to hear it. He wanted information, but he did not want to at all enter with me into my suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that for that person, but also it's a cultural issue that if we are not going to just be to end our hard things on a, butt, yeah, he has this going on, but Mm -hmm. we're so happy and everything's great that we're somehow doing a disservice to our creator. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And I just don't know how we got there because 
Jesus himself on the cross quotes the Psalms saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in my opinion, I believe that he did that in an act of solidarity. Mm-hmm. And I think that he was showing us what it means to be in relationship with this God that wants to be in relationship with us. And we're not in relationship with God by wearing a PR hat. You know, we're in a relationship with God by taking off all of the masks that we live our lives in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Um, you write all life be- begins in the darkness. I think you were speaking of the womb. Um, is this a sad book? Hmm. I think it's a book that is hope in the darkness. Hmm. I, I do think the first chapter is hard to get through. <laughs> and I told my, I warned my family and friends, just get through that first chapter because there are sad parts. There are sad parts, but it is ultimately a book that believes if nothing else, if I have learned anything else from all of my trials, it's that I believe that we have a God of resurrection. What and do you mean by that? I wrote that down. What does you mean by that? By that, I mean that we talk about like, resurrection, meaning that we get to go to heaven with God. What I believe is that God continuously provides resurrection here in this life in and out and over again. Like what, what do you mean? For example? So I think that some people think that this bad thing happened, but then there's this really good thing that's going to happen. I don't think God often works that way. What I do think is that he takes dead things in our lives, he takes a little bit of what was and makes it into something new. We may never get our old lives back after the unexpected, but I don't think we're necessarily supposed to. Mm-hmm. But I do think that God takes what was and adds new things to it and brings new life out of it. Mm-hmm. I have an illustration for that, actually, that's in chapter five in the um, it's called Letting Go. And there were these beautiful white sands behind our house when we lived in New Mexico. I've been there. Yes. Okay. So So if you just looked at the sands, you just think, wow, this is a beautiful sight. But those sands are the product of death and resurrection. They are there because a huge lake covered that area. And then the lake dried up and it left behind these gypsum deposits And then whipping winds and forces of nature came through and polished those gypsum deposits. And that's why we have that site today. Hmm. And I think that's often how God works is that he takes something from what was before and through the, the processes of living, you know, and through the darkness and through the harsh conditions that we go through, he makes new things come out of it. Hmm. You say that uh, we allow our hurt and confusion, our confusion, I think, to be our guide, which is kind of what you were talking about. And it helps us to rediscover our core selves. How do you know what parts that need to be let go of and what parts you keep? Besides, you, you deconstructed your faith through that. Not completely. I don't mean that to say that. But as far as what you had mis- Uh, believed about God, faulty faith. That was one area. But for the average person, Christian or not, how do they know what parts need transforming? Hmm. That's a good question. I think for me, I had to actually examine why I was grieving so much over my diagnosis. Hmm. So Hmm. what was it that I was actually grieving? And when I, what I realized 
is that I was so heartbroken over my child being diagnosed with Down syndrome while I was pregnant that the reason was, is because he could not live a successful life in the way that I deemed successful. Mm-hmm. And so he was going to be outside of these societal norms. And so for me, what I realized was I was so devastated because I wanted him to achieve all of this worldly success. Of course. And if he didn't achieve that worldly success, then how could he not only live a successful life, but a worthy life? Mm-hmm. And when I really sat through that and read a lot, prayed a lot, had good counsel through that, I realized that I was someone who had been trying to achieve my own worth my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we just have to kind of ask those questions. Why am I grieving like this? Mm -hmm. Why am I mad at God? What is it that I think that God owes me? Right. Mm -hmm. And then we really start to examine those things and we just pull thread by thread by thread. And that's really the process of undergoing. Mm -hmm. Of course, this book is not a how to undergo. It's what I learned through undergoing. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that whatever that is for you, whatever that is, that's like, I'm really pained over this, that you're able to take that apart, put it up next to the Bible, put it up next to good theologians and examine what maybe you have wrong. It's interesting how we attach. It's so easy. I guess it's the Western culture. We attach what we do to our worth. And uh, I was talking to a, a former pastor this week because he left the pastorate for a good reason to go into business. But I said, how did you deal with that Uh, as far as a shaking up of your identity? I mean, maybe he was already so strong in Jesus that it didn't bother him. Oh, no, went through depression, had to talk to a lot of people because we have this thing in our mind. And then you were able to accept it uh, about Anderson a lot easier. The resume for Anderson, you were able to accept that a lot quicker than you were for the resume for yourself. Why is that, you think? Um, yeah, it, it, that is interesting that you put it that way because it's kind of true and I'm writing a speech right now and it does go through that progression. It, for me, it almost, I had to unpack my ignorance around disability. Yeah. Um, and then once I realized that I had an ableist worldview, ableism is the idea that disability is inferior and something that needs to be fixed instead Mm -hmm. of being part of someone's identity. And so once I discovered that I was able to then my, my faith with that too, like, oh, like what I viewed as successful, um, or worthy is not what Jesus does anyways. You know, I was able <laughs> I to love that. Yeah. It was able to, I was able to <laughs> see that easier for him. Mm-hmm. So first it became, it was him first and probably me second. And why that happened. I don't know, because I've lived my life in this skin, you know, at that point for 27 years. And I had been living with this one way and trying to achieve so much. Um, I had this very performer personality and an achieving personality and Enneagram type three. Um, and so I think that just took some maturity, um, and to, to be able to apply that to myself. Well, I'm uh, older than you, but I learned a lot about ableism. I'd never heard that word, that term before. I mean, I, I've worked with some special needs. I guess we're not supposed to say that anymore. Uh, disabled, 
Uh, the guy I talked to on Monday, he has a son with Cornelia DeLange syndrome. He'll no, never grow taller than three feet. He'll never say a, a word, verbalize at all. And he's 21. And he says he, he kisses him goodnight every night. He makes sure he does that because he doesn't know if he'll live through the night. So they, you know, he's been through the ringer and is going through the ringer. And yet our identity in Christ is the only thing really that remains the same. And yet if, uh, as a woman, you know, there's all this stuff about, you know, women can do anything. Well, I suppose I just don't worry about that. You know, I do what God tells me to do. And then if I fail, I go, I'll try something else. But who I am has solidified as I've grown older. And I know that that's uh, what your experience has helped you and will continue to help you. I have a question here. You say um, the unexpected pain may have broken our hearts, but with time, we are broken wide open to possibilities anew. This book is about transformation from the inside out. Now, does transformation always need to come through pain and hard circumstances? I don't think so. My okay. listeners will want you to say no. So I just, <laughs> I don't think so. I think <clears throat> transformation can also come through great love. Um, Ooh, you know, that's good too. I, I, but I do think because we're all human, we are all going to experience pain. And I do believe that pain or the unexpected, just something really unexpected that you, uh, your life just changing course can be one of the greatest <clears throat> pathways to transformation. I would say it is the greatest pathway towards transformation because God gets our attention mm -hmm. and we can either become bitter or better. We either come drawing closer to him, we crawl up on his lap because there's no place else to go, mm -hmm. or we run away. Yeah. And people have that choice. But um, <clears throat> it's like organization for me. I hate to organize. But once things are organized, I just love the results of organizing. Now, that's a very small example, too. I hate pain, but I <laughs> like the results of pain. You yeah. know, give me the anesthetic anytime. Mm -hmm. um, but God says, no, this pain you need to feel deeply because you will feel closer to me okay. as a result. And really, we ask the Lord every day, help me be closer to you. And then he gives us something unexpected. Well, we didn't mean that. We didn't really mean that, Lord. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, do we do the work of transformation or does God do the work? I think it's both. I think mm -hmm. it's a both. And I, I don't think you have to pick, you know, I think that God can bring us to the point and point us in directions <clears throat> of the way we need to go, um, to transform. But I think we have to take the steps to get there. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think that we can't transform without God's help, but we also cannot transform if we're unwilling to take a step towards becoming different. And also just taking one step and not worrying about the three steps you have to take tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's overwhelming. This process for me really took, gosh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's still ongoing, of course, but probably five years, hmm. five years of enrolling in seminary and, and just trying to wrestle and come to terms with my theology and just trying to get closer, closer, closer to God mm -hmm. as I could, because I needed to, <laughs> my life was in shambles for like five years. We were hit after unexpected thing after unexpected <clears throat> thing. Um, and so this was, this was a long process. And so it's not like I need to do that. I need to transform today. Cause that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's slow work, mm -hmm. um, but it does require us to work. Yeah. Um, I just think of people I know who are so stuck in their pain. 
Mm. What kind of advice you would even give me to help someone who's so stuck? So stuck in pain. They Um, won't take the next step. I mean, you took lots of steps. Maybe it's part of your Enneagram. It's God's grace, actually. But um, I mean, you had to, because you either go forward or you go backwards. I don't really feel that there's a sitting on the fence type of life. Yeah. I, I know what you're you have saying. To be, you have to be you gentle. Are. These people are so fragile. Oh, yeah. And I, I kind of want to hit them, though. <laughs> <laughs> I understand what you're saying when somebody, you get to the point of bitterness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I have felt that before, you know, especially with our youngest child's diagnosis. It was like, wow, really? Again, again, <laughs> yes. we're going through this. Wow. Um, what was the diagnosis of your third child? He had posterior urethral valves. It's mm. a blockage in the urethra. And oh gosh. Yes. And so it can be very it can Painful. be deadly because well, it can be deadly because they can't develop their lungs in utero. And <laughs> so yeah, so he he ended up having a mild case and he is well today. Mm. Um however, um <laughs> the when that all happened, the what was the song? It was even if by mercy me mm. came out and that I just remember sitting there thinking, yeah, this is true. Like, even if, mm-hmm. even if God does not come through with <clears throat> me, I've already decided what I believe mm-hmm. on. This. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, not that I'm unwilling to change my, my, the little parts of my belief, but the, the bigs that, you know, I believe that, um, Jesus is who he says he was. Um, that wasn't going to change. And um, so, uh, gosh, I, I don't know if I have some, for somebody who just feels so bitter, um, I guess I would say a practical advice is to read the Psalms um, because really they are so much lament. Mm-hmm. They are lament that ends in hope. They're lament that ends in seeing God's goodness also present. Mm-hmm. And um so I think that we're okay. It's okay to feel pain and it's okay to admit pain and it's okay to cry out to God in pain. And also, but we have to keep our eyes open for the goodness of God that is still present, even in our darkest moments. I heard years ago that the Psalms are in the heart of scripture for the heart of man. And mm-hmm. uh, I go to them again and again. Also, when your Bible falls open, there they go, you know, yeah. and there's so many are lament. Yes. You know, they're not all praises. They're no more yeah. than half, more, more than, than half. half. Right. And, uh, and we don't want those. And yeah. we certainly don't want the imprecatory ones unless they're toward your neighbor or something. Um, <laughs> what counsel would you give to someone who's in the black hole? I think you just did. Um, are we lesser Christian if we can't manage a praise the Lord right away? No. <laughs> no. And I, I do think that there are some people who have that in them. Uh, that's not me. Mm. And I don't think it's most of us, Mm. um, really. And I think that again, um, I believe that Jesus came here to not only suffer for us, but to suffer with us. Um, I think Jesus suffered here on earth, you know, he wept and he died on a cross. And so, no, I think that we are, um, God doesn't need pretend versions of us. He Mm -hmm. needs all of us, and that includes our lament. That's good. God doesn't need, say it again, God doesn't need pretend. Pretend versions of us, but Mm -hmm. um, he needs the full of us. Mm -hmm. Um, 
how can we move from hoping in our prescribed answers to prayer to or towards hoping in God alone? What I mean was we, we believe it, we pray because God tells us to pray and we pray for what we want because God tells us to pray and you prayed for healing or you prayed for a different outcome. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure you prayed for Preston as well. We pray for things every day, but how can we move from just relying upon what we tell God? We're actually, when I pray, sometimes I really, I not only pray, I tell him how to answer the prayer and that's me being God. But how do we move from that to hoping in God and his loving kindness alone, his character. I don't know. I think I kind of go back to, um, that, that same thing with Preston where, um, I just remember being in this hour long MRI and that song blaring in my head. And it's just, I had already seen God's goodness, I guess, in my life. Um, you know, I obviously looked over it in my younger years, but I saw the goodness that had come out of pain before, mm -hmm. um, and how he had changed me so much through my first son's diagnosis that I knew that no matter what suffering we were going to endure, I would also experience God's goodness. And by that, I mean the closeness that I felt in my darkest mm -hmm. moments, which included <clears throat> in, um, waiting for my first child or first son to come out of open heart surgery. Um, mm -hmm. I've never felt God's presence more in my life than I did yeah. then. That was a beautiful and, chapter. Thank you. And, um, and just how the work that he had done in me through my darkest moments. And so I think that, um, yes, there's darkness here and yes, there is light too. And God is the light. And, um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but just to know that the goodness of God will is present here and will be present on the other side. I was on a panel for some young people the other day, me and some elders, not sure how they called me in, but they did. And one of their questions was a great question was, what type of transformation of the heart are you working on right now? And I thought, wow, it kind of reminded me of your vocabulary. And I said, well, I'm working on feeling the same peace and joy right now as I know I will feel when my prayers are answered. And I said, I'm not there yet every day. But when I think about it, I go, it's almost, it's always a question of my trust in God, whether or not I consent. It doesn't mean that he's, he gets mad at me when I, uh, when I have an upset stomach because I'm worried about my kids or something like that. I don't mean that. I just mean that, you know, when the things are done, like when one of the kids finally gets engaged, I will feel really happy, right? I want to feel that same sense of peace. Why? Because God is the same then as he is right now. And God is the same now as he will be then. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures, I actually came across in college, Psalm 73, of course, it's Psalms. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My strength and my heart may fail, and you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You could tell I was reading the King James. The deal of it is, in my Bible, I wrote, this is not true of me yet. Oh, Who have yeah. I in heaven but thee, and there is none on earth that I desire besides thee? Are you kidding? He was not all I had desired. But I wanted to be that kind of person. Uh, also, Psalm 62 uh, five, my expectation is in God alone. Mm. 
Mm. Well, that's not true for most of us Americans. Our expectations are in making sure that there's gas in the car and food on the table uh, at minimum, at minimum. Yeah, That's our expectation or that our kids uh, marry well or marry at all or go to college or whatever. Certainly a lot of our um, disenchantment comes from unexpected gifts. Now, what is the main thing you think you learned from being Anderson's beautiful mother? What have I learned from being Anderson's mother? Um, I think one of the biggest lessons that he has taught me is that a different life is not a less than life. Hmm. And I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And so if I, when I do start to get overwhelmed, um, maybe something not going right at school, or maybe my, my mind floats off way into the distance, into the future. Um, and I start to worry about his ability or, or something like that, of that sort that has been a good anchor for me that mm. yes, his life is different. It just is. Um, and it is also so very beautiful and mm. that is just fine. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Helped me because I don't have, um, a disabled child. Um, for you to say these things. I mean, I would think I would know them already. I don't feel I have prejudice or stereotypical views, but I did. When I read that, I go, yeah, you, you, you kind of want, you're so glad your kids aren't like that. And that's a wrong, that's a wrong thought. It's a sinful thought. And I thought, well, this could happen to my grandchildren. They could, you know, there's so much autism around. I just heard from someone yesterday that her adult child was diagnosed as autistic, you know, in her late twenties and the grief that she's going through because of, uh, learning to accept this new normal, because that's kind of what it is, your new normal. Um, uh, you wrote, I once thought of my son with a disability needed healing, but I was the one who needed to be healed. Why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I need to be healed from a whole lot, really. I needed to be healed from my ideas of a worthy life that we've already touched on and um, the idea that we have to perform Mm -hmm. to live a worthy life. I need to be healed from the idea that God is transactional, that Mm -hmm. if I do this, God does this. Um, And and instead, you know, I needed to find the God of grace. Um, I needed to be healed from so, so much really. Um, and I, I just, I can't tell you how transformative having a child with Down syndrome has been for me. And I don't know if it's, I can't say that's every parent's story, but it has been for me. And I, I believe that Anderson was not sent here. He was not sent here to teach me something. I think there's a narrative out there that disabled people exist for our non-disabled spiritual betterment. <laughs> and that is not true. Um, however, he has been my greatest teacher Hmm. and through God, I believe, I believe, I'm sorry. I believe God has used Anderson to help me understand God's character more, um, to understand the meaning of life more, (laughs) um, to understand who I am and who I am not. And I think that no matter what your unexpected circumstance is, I do believe that these lessons can exist out there for, for you too. 
I hear just now, I hear a second book in you. So just in case your editor hasn't already told you, there's <laughs> something more. Yeah. Well, you need to take notes as you say these things, because it's profound. And um, the thing about a book is that we have to live it first. So I don't envy you that part, but uh, collect other people's stories. That's a little easier sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, my uh, legacy or my podcast is on legacy. What legacy do you want to make sure those who know and love you that you've left for them? or that you're living right now? I hope this isn't too broad, but I thought about this. And if I had to sum it up, like in a word, it would be a legacy of openness. And by that, I mean, an openness to being wrong um, in my, my thoughts, especially um, being willing to evolve in um, my worldview and in my faith. Um, and also an openness to um being willing to make new relationships. You know, I, I'm very thankful that we're the military part of our um, marriage is now complete. Um, but one of the best things to come out of that was I was always in need of friends. We lived in six States in eight years. Mm -hmm. And I hope that I always, I never close off my circle, you know, and always am open to more people, people who are different from me. Um, people who, um, who need friendship too. And I, I hope that, um, my house is always open as well. Mm -hmm. Um, hospitality is a big, big deal to me. And so if I had to sum it up in a word, it would just to be a legacy of openness. Hmm. Well, that's huge. It is huge, but it can, it's broken down so beautifully. I have some darling friends who are 20 years younger, who are ex-military and they're the same. They're so hungry for friends. Plus, I taught in a uh, Scuola Americana de Brasilia for two years. So those kids were changed every two years. Their parents would make a move countries. Yeah. So they knew how to make friends quickly. But you only can when you've uh, when you've suffered that way. Kind of, it's a suffering. They're looking. Will you be my friend? We have two years here, and um, I see. But also the suffering, or actually the unexpected gift makes you more open to someone else who might also be in that situation. You can be a help. What has been a challenge or something you've had to overcome to make sure that you leave that kind of legacy? Hmm. Um, I think right now, one of my greatest challenges you mentioned before that your the work of the transformation of your heart. Can you say that one more time? Cause I thought, Oh my gosh, I have the opposite issue. It was, um, believing, uh, your faith when your prayers are answered being the same as when they're not answered. Oh yeah. Okay. You want me to say that again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I want to have the same peace now that I know I will when the prayer is answered. Yes. Does that make sense? I think one of my greatest challenges at the moment is we lived in such a dark space for such a long time. You mm -hmm. know, we, you mentioned before we started recording that your husband, I think has, uh, worked with people with PTSD. And I, I think that we experienced that, you know, our, between our two kids our two out of our three kids, we saw 18 specialists at a time. And now life is, dare I say, it's not easy. It's calmer. But it's calm and it's good and peaceful. Mm -hmm. And my challenge right now is to remain in that in the faith as strongly as I did when I needed, needed God, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. And I totally get it because we don't want the pain or the challenge, but we love the intimacy. 
Yes. So yes. just borrow somebody else's for a while. You need the rest. It's like ground going follow for a while. You know, dug, God dug you up for years, at least five. And so just receive it. My year, word for the year is receive. Just receive it and read other people's books. Yeah. And take notes and delight in him in joyful ways. Here I am counseling it. Delight in him in joyful ways, not only in pain, because he's a God of joy as much as he is a God of suffering. And that's what makes him so true and real to us as humans. Um, I love that statement. And now I can't find it. Something about how we're just so human. You know, we always think we're superhuman and we're not. Mm -hmm. And when things of life break us down, we are always so surprised. Whereas we should be going, hey, I'm broken today. How about that? You know, it's just the way I am. Um, how does I think you already answered this, but my last question is always, how does your life embody the welcoming heart of God? Um, I would say just the the work that I'm trying to do with advocacy um, mm -hmm. and creating a more inclusive world, which I truly believe starts at the school level. Mm -hmm. um, because if our kids don't grow up knowing those with disabilities, then um, they're not going to know them when they're suddenly when they're adults. Yeah. That was so good. That's so yeah. good. And so my work there and um, you know, same with our, we're at this little tiny church right now that we're trying to build up because I believe in the church has good values and a good inclusive message um, that I want my kids to grow up with. Mm -hmm. And I want my son with down syndrome to be able to know that he is home. And so we're, we're just working with them to hopefully bring in younger families and um, you know, the work's not done. I, yeah. I, I believe that there is another book, but I believe that there's some other work coming too, more in that advocacy lane. And I'm excited mm -hmm. to see what unfolds. Yeah. And isn't it great that God made you a three or whatever you are, because you like speaking. I mean, there's, I love speaking too, but most we're kind of different that way. And, um, and you know how to gather content and you're, uh, and you are articulate. And so that is what's needed on the forefront of something like this. You know, I would follow you. And, um, just because I think it's something that I needed to learn and people are just ignorant, you know, in a nice, it's a nice way of saying I'm ignorant. And so for you to, uh, to be an advocate for the disabled is a beautiful thing. And God's going to use all of your past, not just the most recent, uh, for his, for his glory and for your good and the good of others. So thank you so much. Um, where can people find you, Jillian? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at uh, Jillian Benfield blog, mm. Facebook, Jillian Benfield. My website is JillianBenfield.com. And there you'll also find three free eBooks for you. Fabulous. And my book again is the gift of the unexpected and it's available on Amazon target and always 30% off at Baker books. Great. And we will uh, be giving away a copy this week. So uh, look for those instructions. And this has been a delight. Thank you so much for your time, Jillian. Thank you. Thank you so much for Until having me. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.